Now, you know, um, the hardest people in the world to help are the people that know the truth but have never really put it in practice because the standard answer is, I know that. Well, Jesus said the one thing that will keep you blind is insisting that you see. The one thing that will keep you from experiencing a reality of God is insisting that you already know it. And informationally, you may know it. But remember, that Greek word for know, as well as the Old Testament Hebrew word about knowing, is, is about intimacy. It's about, it's about knowing someone so intimately that they're, you know, the, the nakedness between a husband and wife represents I hold nothing back. There is nothing I'm hiding from you. And that's why God uses that word about knowing the truth. He said knowing the truth is experiencing it in a way where you hold nothing back and it actually comes to life and, and you have an experience. Until you have experienced that truth, you do not know that truth. You know about it. Uh, you have information about it, but you do you do not know it. So, you know, uh, so don't, because you're going to hear some things that you already informationally know, don't go to the place of, I know it. I know that. I know that. You know, I, I, my uncle, the only positive male influence I had in my life growing up, he would, if, if I ever said, I know it, when somebody said something, I'm telling you, he would, he was as likely to wash my mouth out with soap for saying I know it as when I would cuss. And uh, because he would always say, you, you don't know. You know what you know. You don't know what they know. You listen, and you'll figure out what they know. <laughs> you know? And uh, it was you know, great practical wisdom. Now, listen, just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recap. Some of the stuff I'm going to go through, and I'm going to recap pretty fast because we got, we got to get on the same page here. First of all, you know, Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. Now, number one, that is not talking about God judging you because you judge. And then he goes on and says, and the way you know that is because he quotes that same or makes that same statement over in Luke 6, 38, where he points out that, uh, and he, he says, you know, be merciful. Uh, and, you know, and he got, kind of goes down this list of characteristics. And then he says, for with the measure you meet, uh, you know, he says that in, in Matthew, but in Luke, he says, he says, give, well, give what? Well, what he's talking about, give judgment, give mercy, give kindness, give love, you know, whatever you give is going to be given back to you. Men are going to give back to you, press down, shaking together and running over. So, so one of the things you want to realize, you know, the, one of the first laws of judgment is there's this horizontal plane that says on the natural level, the way you treat people, again, you're planting seeds in those, those people's lives. And when those seeds come to fruition, they're going to come back pressed down, shaken together, and running over toward you. Because remember, you never plant one seed and get one seed back. You plant one seed and get multiple seeds back. So there is this repercussion that happens on the natural level. And, man, I could... Uh, in the series, I go a lot more into these law, this law of the seed, which undergirds every single thing, uh, every application of everything God has ever said is based on the law of the seed. And until, until that equation is your basis for understanding what you're doing and how it's affecting your life, until that is consciously factored in, you will, you will continue to plant seed in your life that produce nothing but a bad crop over and over again, and you'll be wondering why all this stuff is happening to you. Uh, and and that's, a, that's a miserable life. Uh, so now we, we talked about judgment, and I'm not going to go into the full explanation of it again for time's sake, but the most basic form of judgment in relating to one another is to try to, is to assume to know why someone does something. Uh, Clint, I want you to go back and stand at the back door, okay? I want you to go back. Now, what, what I want you to do is, um, uh, let's see here. Uh, I'll tell you what, here, we'll have you come down the middle aisle here because that way people on both sides can participate. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to turn, and I want you to look at Clint, and when he's coming down, I want you to say, you know, good morning. Hey, quit that, Clint. Quit being friendly. <laughs> I want you to. I want you to say, "Hey, man, good to see you." And and, and Clint, I just don't want you to say anything. I just want you to come forward. All right. So everybody ready? Now, now you got to do this out loud. 
So you're gonna you're gonna start greeting them and tell them how glad you are to see them. Okay, real simple exercise. Y'all think y'all can do this? All right, come on, let's do it. All right. Now, did anybody get their feelings hurt? Is anybody sitting there thinking, man, he don't even like me? I I I spoke to him. He, he don't like me. Well, you know why your feelings are hurt? It's because you know why he did that. You you do know why. But let's say it's Sunday morning, and let's say that Clint's running a little late getting in here to speak, and you're running a little late getting to church, and he's buzzing down the hall to come in here, and, and man, you know, you just want to see him and say hi to him, and you're ready to walk up and give him a big hug, shake his hand, and tell him how much you appreciate him, and you're like, hey, Clinton, Zoom. And he goes right by you. You don't know why. He went right by you. But the problem is, you're going to pass a judgment. You're going to assume why he did it. You're going to attach significance to that action based on your judgment. And it might be something like, I mean, he just, he just seems kind of stuck up. And so you come in here in church, and he's in here t preaching that day about relationships. <laughs> and you're thinking, yeah, relationships. Yeah, he knows about relationships. I think he's a hypocrite. <laughs> I don't know if he's ever liked me. Could that happen? Yeah. You know what? What's interesting, I, 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 in our cyber church, I was teaching on this a few weeks ago. And man, I got a message from a guy. He said, that happened. That exact same thing just happened to me. I just went to church, spoke to my pastor, and he didn't speak to me. And I got my feelings hurt, and I got mad, and I came home and heard this on Cyber Church. <laughs> <clears throat> now, here's the kicker about judgments. The measure you meet is measured unto you. Now, we read that, and most of us have no I mean, we kind of like, that's that King James stuff where you're like, what in the heck is he talking about? <laughs> Think of the measure that you meet as basically being whatever thought, whatever attention, whatever pondering, whatever considering, and literally whatever meditation. And you say, well, I don't meditate. Well, yeah, you do. Because anytime you think about anything until it produces emotions, you have just meditated. So he's saying, you know, whatever degree of attention you give to this, that determines what comes back to you. So here's, the, here's the, the thing about judgment is that it doesn't matter if your judgment is right or wrong. You're not going to be affected by whether you're right or wrong. You're going to be affected by your judgment. And if you assume that the reason he didn't speak to you was he don't like you or whatever, it's going to affect you that way. And, and the measure you meet doesn't just stop right there. Because you don't, you don't, what you're going to do next is you're going to talk to somebody. Man, I went to church today. You know, I loved that church when I first started going. Clint really seemed like a good guy at first. And you know what? I'm telling you, he was so rude to me today. Now, are you telling the truth? Well, no, you're lying. Because what, you're not telling what happened. You're telling how you felt about what happened. So you are now reliving the experience, but you're reliving it through a deceitful storyline. And so he was so rude to me. I, I, you know what? I'm just telling you what, I just, I just can't even believe somebody could call themselves a pastor and act that way. And then he went in there and preached on relationships. I mean, what kind of hypocrite is he? It was devastating. It was devastating. And then before long, you know, it's kind of grown to, I tell you, I've never had anybody, I've never had a pastor be that rude to me. Now, here's the problem. When we, when we um, remember anything or tell a story about anything, like I say, we usually never tell the facts. 
See, the facts would be walking down the hall. Clint came walking down the hall. I wanted to speak to him. I spoke to him. I don't know if he didn't notice me. I don't know what was going on, uh, but he didn't speak to me. So I decided that this is my judgment. If you're telling the truth, that's what you'd tell. But that's not what you're going to tell. You're just going to tell how it made you feel as if that's true. Now, here's the problem. Every time you remember something, you change the memory. And you change, therefore, the impact again. So really, you now experience it in a more heightened way, a more exaggerated way. And so every time you relive this, it, you know, it grows, it grows, and it affects you more and more every time you remember it, rethink it, ponder on it, tell the story to anybody else. Now, you know, Angela quoted an, uh, another uh, scripture there from, from the um, parable of the sower. And the parable of the sower in the English, it says something like this, you know, to him who has, you know, he gets more. To him who has not, even what he has is taken away. In the Greek, it really doesn't say it's taken away. It's more like the concept of a river flowing. And because you put what you have in the river, it just gets washed away with the river. See, we take that to kind of like God's taking something away from us. But what he's saying there is whatever you've got, good or bad, going on in you about a situation, you're going to get more of that. In other words, as long as you've got this offense in you, it's just going to keep growing. It's going to keep multiplying. But remember, every seed always bears fruit after its own kind. So this means that every time you think about this, every time you remember this, every time you tell this story, you are planting seed in your heart. And remember, just think, every individual seed you plant in your heart may produce a thousand other seeds or two or three hundred other seeds. Doesn't matter, it's bad. And those seeds begin to grow in your heart. And the problem is those seeds, according to the law of the seed, which is the supreme law of all creation, those seeds choke out the word of God. And one of the, one of the first warnings God gives us I mean, you don't realize he's giving it to us as a direct warning, but one of the first warnings is all the way back in creation and whenever he establishes the law of the seed in the earth, and one of the first things he ever says about the law of the seed in Deuteronomy is, do not plant opposing seeds in the same furrow because they will destroy the good seed. And so now you have set yourself up to, to relive and multiply offenses, not just this offense, but now this is going to grow into the way you look at other people and, and you're going to be passing other people. And bef- you know, you can reach a place to where it's like nobody loves me, nobody, I don't have any friends, uh, no preacher is honest or trustworthy, you can't find a good church anywhere, I'm going to stay at home, and you know, I don't even believe God's real anymore. I mean, you can go from one offense to there. You say, Jim, you're exaggerating. Listen, I've been in the ministry nearly a half a century. I have dealt one-on-one with more people than you'll probably ever meet in your whole life. I have seen people make this journey from one offense to multiplied offenses, to multiplied judgments, until literally today they're sitting at home, they're alcoholics, and they don't believe in God anymore. Seen it happen time, time and time and time again. Now, so the cure, and remember, forgiveness, and again, I'm just going to give you a capsulization because you, you guys who are here this week, and you got hours of this already, and the, you guys that weren't here, you can go back and get it. So uh, <clears throat> the cure for this is, well, the prevention is don't pass judgments. And, and I'm telling you, if you decide to make this journey, you will realize over the, you'll, you'll start realizing today how many dozens, if not hundreds of times a day, you assume to know why somebody's doing something. 
We don't even know how to live without judgment. Almost all of our life is reactionary. See, we have this need to justify everything that we do. If, if somebody were to come to, you know, there was a, there was a young man, you know, we, we had a, a Christian school, you know, kindergarten through 12th grade. And then we had a, a Bible college where you could earn a, a, a literally earn a, a degree. And, uh, excuse me, I got, to, I got to take some herbs. They're going to make me preach real good. <laughs> and I have a few extra for sale after the service. <laughs> Just my, one of my little businesses on the side. <clears throat> and so there was a young man that went to this school, and I really love this guy. His mother was a, one of the pillars of our church. And... Uh, uh, she won her family, her, it's Martha, you know, you remember Martha. You know, she won her family, her extended family to the Lord. She was, she was, I'm telling you, this, this woman was a ball of fire for, for God. But I, I'd love to tell you her story, but time doesn't allow. But uh, <clears throat> so her son kind of really, I was the father figure in his life. His, you know, his father had left when he was young and, uh, so I just kind of became the father figure in his life. And, and, you know, he, I was the guy he came to to talk about things. And so he'd been out of school for years, and I hadn't seen him for years. And actually, I helped him get his first car. Their, you know, their family was not capable of doing that. And so, so um, I, I you know, got a car and financed it for him and, set, you know, set up the payments. And, and I wanted this to be, you know, this wasn't a codependent thing of me just trying to bail him out. I was trying to teach him. The same thing I teach my kids. You know, all of my kids had to buy their own cars. And, uh, and, and it wasn't because I wasn't willing to buy them a car. It was because I wanted my kids to go out in the world and, and, and be able to face the world and, and say, you know, I bought my own car. I pay my own rent. I pay my own bills. I know how to do business. Now, I'll tell you, my kids, all of them got some crazy in them. And I, I kind of like it that way. Uh, <clears throat> that makes them compatible with me. Uh, <clears throat> But I tell you, no matter what any of my kids go through, every one of them at any day can walk out and start a business and succeed. Amen. Every one of them go out and make a living. Amen. Every one of them know uh, how to do these things. And that's what, I, that's what I wanted this young man to do because I knew he had nobody in his life teaching him those things. So, <clears throat> so got him a car. Really, it was a really nice car. And... Uh, Got him a good deal on it, so so he you know he had to pay me back the money because I you know I was paying for the car, and so you know just like a lot of young people, just over and over he'd be late on his payments, and uh, you know I would just tell him you know you're late on your payments you got to pay interest you know got to pay a penalty, and uh, and I'm you know I, I held him to it just like a bank would, so you know we finally got through the whole car episode, and, and so like I said a few years goes by and so one night doorbell rings and it's him. And, uh, you know, he, he, he called me dad as much as he would call me brother Jim. You know what I mean? So it was like, so it was, it was, it was kind of like, dad, I need some help. And uh, I said, well, what do you need? And he said, well, you know, I, I need a few, th few thousand dollars. And, uh, and I want you to help me. You're the only person, you know, that I can turn to for help. And now listen, put a little parentheses here. Trust is never given. If you give trust to a person who hasn't proven themselves trustworthy, you're passing a judgment. Now, it's a good judgment, but good judgments sometimes can destroy you quicker than bad judgments. Because you will judge, like in, in, in this guy's case, I'll kind of go into the story and we'll see if you understand it here. So we sat down and he said, so, so, so will you help me? And I said, well, I'll help you, but I won't loan you any money. And he said, well, well, why won't you loan me money? I said, you know, with this, when we went through this thing with this car, you proved to me that I can't rely on, I can't trust you financially. I said, now what I'll do, I will help you figure out how to solve this problem. We'll, we'll find a way for you to make the money. We'll find a way to negotiate with the people you got to negotiate with. I'll help you do every step of it, but I'm not going to loan you the money. Now, See, in situations like that, we don't, we're not comfortable saying no. 
we just don't want to say no. We want them to like us and all this kind of stuff. And, um, and uh, so usually we will pass a judgment in order to justify saying no. So what most people would have been, they would have said the same thing I said about the car, but then they would have told him why he didn't make the payments. And so the conflict that would emerge would not be about the fact that he didn't make the payments. It would be about the accusation that you made about why he didn't pay the payments. Does that make sense? We're going to go into this in husband and wife world in just a minute. So I didn't go into it. I just said, you, you know, you didn't, you didn't pay your payments regular. And so I can't trust you financially. And he said, you don't, but you don't understand. He said, I mean, there were things that happened. He said, he said, there were just things that kept happening. And I told him, I said, you know what? I don't know if, if you were just managing your money poorly or if you're just like the most unlucky person in the world. And it could be any of those. And it really doesn't matter which one of those are because your track record says, I can't trust you with money. But I love you, and I'll help you do this. Oh, man, he got his feelings hurt. He got mad and left and didn't talk to me for about a year. And I'm real comfortable with people not talking to me for a year at a time. <laughs> uh, so, you know, sometimes it just kind of gives me a break in my schedule. <clears throat> and so, but you know what was really interesting? He, he, he came back a year or so later. He said, he said listen, it, it made me, so, I was so mad at you. He said, I was so mad that you would not help me. He said, I'm going to tell you what. He said, you forced me to be a man. And I had to grow up. And I had to change the way I handle money. It was, just that, it was just that simple. Now, see, he knew I loved him. Now, what would have happened if I'd have gone into why I thought he didn't pay those payments? You're dishonest. You're lying. You're, you know, what, or, or whatever. How do you think that scenario would have played out? See, you can't, you know, we talked over the, over the weekend about how that you can say almost anything to anybody if you truly love them and you're truly doing what you're doing for their good. Now, remember, loving somebody don't mean you like them. <laughs> you know, I'm, so don't get that confused. I, I did like him, but, but I'm, I'm not referring to him in that. But, but our problem is we can't recover people and help people. We can't even do this with our kids because we're, we're busier addressing our judgments about why we think they're doing what they're doing. And usually we're wrong. And then they are hurt. We are filling them with offenses from our judgment. And, you know, that's where parents lose influence. Because now they can't trust us. Now they can't talk to us about their problems because they know they're going to get judgment. They're not going to get help. They're not going to get advice. They're not going to deal with the problem that is presented to them. There's going to be a fight about their judgments about the problem. And, the, and remember, here's the interesting thing about judgment. <clears throat> judgment calls for a penalty. You know, when you go to court, judge, he makes a judgment, and every judgment brings forth a sentencing. And if the person is judged innocent, and the sentencing is, you know, we declare you innocent, you're free of the charges, you can go. If the judgment's negative, then a penalty is going to be dealt out based on what that judge's or that jury's judgment is about what the person has done. Well, see, inside of us, when we pass a judgment, emotionally, on a very subconscious level, we then begin to mete out the penalty that we think that infraction deserves. And you will find that you will change toward your children. You will change toward your friends. In the case of, you know, the scenario that we created about Clint, you will not only change toward your pastor, you'll change toward your church. Because that judgment requires some kind of penalty. And so we get into attack mode. They get an offense. They get into attack mode. And you never solve the problem. Do you know most husbands and wives and most parents and children never solve the, any problems? They fight about the judgments. So in practical application, we're asking, you know, we have to say, well, how do I, how do I solve any problems? 
Well, I can tell you this. You can't solve problems by passing judgments. You know, one of the things, boy, I, I, you know, when, when I first started kind of going down this, this journey, it, it, it started, I'll tell you where it all started. The scripture that, that all of this started around wasn't about judgment. The scripture was where, uh, where is it in Luke, uh, I think maybe Luke 21, where somebody comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, explain this to me. Or, you know, ask him a question. And he says, he says, he, he asked him two, two questions. He says, what does the scripture say and how do you read it? Anybody remember that? Man, I can remember when that exploded inside me. Because, see, we would think just to say, well, what does the Bible say? Don't matter what the Bible says. What matters is how you read it. And this set me off into what became a lifetime understanding is that I never see anything as it is. I simply see it as I see it. <coughs> now, if you are not comfortable being wrong, you can't even make this journey. No, I'm serious. And, and one of the things we got to get comfortable with is it's all right to be wrong. Because if you're not all right being wrong, then you can't ever learn anything. Because you're always going to be defending why you're right. And remember, I told you, that's what the mind does. The, the mind seeks to defend and preserve the ego. And the only way to preserve the ego is to always convince us right. Now, let me ask you a question. We'll, we'll dive in. How many of you feel like you sometimes, you know, when there's a misunderstanding, you, you, maybe you over-explain to people? I mean, come on, be honest. Let's see. All right. You know why you're over-explaining? Ego. The, the question, it doesn't matter if you're right or not. You know how I know that people that overexplain, you know how I know it's an ego problem? Because I did that a lot of my life. <laughs> See, we want to be understood more than we want to understand. And if being understood means I just have to keep vomiting reasons and logic and excuses onto you. Really, the, 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 the unspoken message that you're getting is, he don't want to hear what I got to say. He just wants me to think he's right. So, how many of you could just bear with, that just raised your hand particularly, how many of you could just bear with somebody thinking you're wrong and you not needing to explain because that's where you want to get. You want to come to a place where it's like, I know this person thinks I'm wrong. You know, you know, you know. We were talking at the door just a few minutes ago, kind of about some political stuff, you know. And you know, we were. And I was sharing this. You know, look, I, see, when I when I started preaching this message, I don't really know. The, you know, when I'm talking about grace and peace and this kind of stuff, I used different terminology in the beginning. But I don't know on a national level if there was anybody else in America preaching this. They might have, there might have been people in past, you know, pastors, you know, that probably were, but on a, on a, in, on the level of exposure that I had, there wasn't. So, you know, I've had opposition for 40 years. I, I, I've had opposition. I mean, I'm talking about the opposition where preachers threaten to kill you. Now, for real, I'm not, I am not exaggerating. You know, Teresa talked about. But, you know what we did with those billboards? I, I, I would buy I would buy five billboards a month, and every I don't remember if it was ever ninety days or something like I would rotate them and move them to a different part of town, and the billboards would either say, "God's not mad at you no matter what," or they would say, "Love God, hate church, call this number." <laughs> and oh, I'm telling you, I have been cussed cussed to the dirt. By pastors all over my town. But let me tell you something. And I really didn't know this. Actually, Ron was the one that calculated the numbers on this. Our time in a little old building, auditorium, not much bigger than this, and the time that our church was there, we had over 10,000 first-time commitments to Jesus. 
Now, most of them went to other churches, and I was fine with that because I didn't, most of them, I didn't want my church. Not, not because they were bad people, but they, I could see they wanted to make another journey. I, I'm not interested in having people in my church and me trying to take them on a journey. They want to go somewhere else. You know, I was in a, Brenda needed me to pick up some buttons from a fabric store for her one day. So I go in this fabric store, and, you know, I just go over and find the buttons that she told me to get. And so I get up there in line, and, you know, I'm standing in line, and there's like, I don't know, two or three people behind me. And so, so I get up to the, to the cashier, and she says, I think I know you. That's what you mind. She said, you're, you're a preacher, aren't you? I said, yeah. She said, I'll never forget. She said, so like, you're, you're one of those holy preachers. <laughs> you know? I mean, she didn't know what, and she had no religious background. I said, well, I don't know about that, but yeah, I know what you mean. And she said, you know something? I got saved in your church. I said, really? I said, so you're still walking with God? She said, yeah. I said, you go to church somewhere? She said, yeah. She said, I'm going to church with my family. I said, good. That's where she needed to be. That's where the best bond was for her to stay in church. So this conversation ends, and about two people back, another woman leans out and says, I got saved in your church when I was like 14 years old. I said, really? She said, and before it was over with, three people standing in line in that store had gotten saved in our church, and they were still in church, usually wherever their family went to church. Now, I got news for you. If I'd been fighting against everybody that was attacking me or trying to explain everybody that was attacking me, none of that would have happened. And we do this. We, we want to be understood so much that we shut the other person down. We don't let them communicate. We don't even let them tell us the truth because we got to be right. And everything. Our judgments have to be right. We got to force our judgments on you. We got to we got to make you see and try to make you believe that our reason that we believe you're doing what you're doing is really your reason. So, husbands and wives. The majority of the time, when there's a conflict between husband and wife. Number one, husbands and wives don't talk about things. You know, I told you the other day, I think I said this the other day, you know, in our premarital counseling program, 50% of the people that went through my premarital counseling decided not to get married. And the only reason they decided not to get married was because I got them to talk about the things that they thought they had actually discussed that they really hadn't. They had assumed that they were on the same page. And when they would talk about things, they would realize how incompatible they were. And then they had to decide, do I care enough about this person to make adjustments? And often as not, they didn't. And the good thing was they would have encountered that after they got married, and it would have just ended in divorce or a horrible marriage for a lifetime. <clears throat> so when couples have conflict... Well, back up. First, first of all, we just don't we just don't voluntarily, in a peaceful way, know how to approach other people, because see, when we approach other people, whether it's our husband or wife or whatever, we approach other people, and remember, we're wanting to be understood more than we're wanting to understand, because we think the solution to these offenses that we're taking on is that if you understand me then you'll stop doing this. But uh, the bigger truth that we're missing is, if I understand you, I might stop passing judgments. And remember, what the person does is not the source of pain. The sor I mean, yes, it has, it's, like, it's like sticking a thorn in your arm. You know, you run up and you stick a thorn in your arm and you pull it out, it's over. You stick a thorn in your arm and you leave it there, it festers. It gets infected, it grows, and even when people try to hug you and touch that sore spot, it hurts, it don't feel right, and so, you, so now, you know, now you're in suffering. If you do not end pain instantly, you move into suffering. So <clears throat> when we come to someone, we, 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 like I said, we, want to, we want them to understand us. So we want to be able to explain a bunch of stuff. 
And we just want them to listen and basically for them to agree and comply. So, so, and at some point, our judgment about why they did what they did is going to come out, and that's where the big argument's going to start. And not only that, if you tend to do that, the argument starts earlier because they know it's coming. You know, they know it's coming. You know, I, I, I was sharing with Brother Day and I, I, this morning, and I share this with people, so don't think I'm picking on anybody here. But here's something you got to remember. If you make it too painful for, and difficult for people to talk to you, people won't talk to you. If you make it too difficult for people to ask you questions, people aren't going to ask you questions. If you make it too dangerous for people to solve problems with you, they're going to just stop solving problems. And they're just going to hope that they're just going to be like, We're just, I'm just not going to rock the boat because it's just not worth it. You know, Angela talked about her mom. You know, her mom was one of those people that if you, if you were going to deal with her about anything, it's just like get a weapon, put on a bulletproof vest. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm exaggerating. I'm talking about emotionally. You know, it's like get a weapon, put on a bulletproof vest, get ready to be berated, get ready to be attacked, get ready for a, a rage to come out. Well, you know, even though I loved her mom, her mom, her mom was, was my wife's best friend for a period of time. But it's like, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it for me to try to help her anymore because I don't have time to have, have a fight that lasts weeks just to try to solve one little problem. And it was kind of the end of her relation, her mom's relationship with our family and our church because it's, it's just like, I love you and you're great at, she was even great at helping people. I mean, it was amazing that she could actually help people, but don't dare try to help her. So just make you a little mental note. If people are not open with me, I'm probably too scary. I didn't get a single amen out of that. Am I? Did I, did I mess up on that, Clint? Is that? <laughs> so, what you know, what we're what we're going, what we tend to do. So so okay. Um, Brenda has memory problems. My wife does, and people who have heart issues tend to have memory problems. So when we first got married. Um, there'd be something that I would need from the store that would be kind of important. Uh, she knows I tell these stories all the time, I'm, but I get, I got the microphone. I get to tell my version of it. <laughs> and so she would forget things that I want. Now, you know, we're newly married and I, you know, there was a lot, we didn't know about each other yet. And, and so, you know, I, you know, you know, when it would happen at first, I was just kind of like, okay, no big deal. You know, she forgot. But then every now and then I'd notice like, but you remembered the favorite cereal that the kids wanted. <laughs> Or you remembered this. Now, this is just going on internally. You know, this was outwardly, I was still trying to act like a good husband. Inwardly, I was kind of starting to go, mm. I was looking for evidence is what I was probably doing, you know. Because, see, you always want to justify yourself. So you're going to find evidence so that you can have this big old uh, hissy fit that you want to have. Y'all know what a hissy fit is, right? See, if I say that on my Facebook page, the Canadians are like, we don't know what a hissy fit is. <laughs> It's like, well, come down here and visit some of my relatives. You'll know in a minute. <laughs> so, you know, so at some point, you know, you know, you're like, you know, you don't really care about me. I'm not important to you. You know, I got things I need. You go to the grocery store and you come back and you don't have them. So obviously I'm not that important to you. How many of you guys would have responded that way after a while? Sure. I mean, you know, we all would. Well, you know, but the real truth was, she just has some short-term memory problems. It's just that simple. Had nothing to do with her not valuing me. Had no, because the real truth is, if I would paid attention, I would realize all of these other areas that she would knock herself out to make sure that I was taken care of. So, okay, so why is it that you're doing seven things where you're putting forth this great effort to take care of me, and I see three things that, that, that are not happening, so my judgment is you don't care. Because three against seven, three always is bigger. That, that's the way emotional math works. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> emotional math is like dog years. You know? 
I know you've only done it three times, but in my heart, this has been going on forever. <laughs> so now we're not going to talk about the fact that she's just forgetting to get whatever it is I'm wanting her to get. You know what we're going to fight about? What do you mean I don't care about you? And it's going to be, then it's going to be like, well, because you don't ever remember what I want. And she's like, let me give you a list of the things I do. You know what I mean? And so this fight, I mean, this battle can break out. And let me tell you what does not happen. She still don't come home from the store with my cereal. <laughs> because we didn't solve that problem. And now we've got new offenses New judgments about each other. So, here's something I want you to do. When you're going to resolve conflict, before you make a statement, ask questions. None of y'all clowns are writing that part down. You should be writing this like on your arm. If not on your arm, on your spouse's arm, you should be like, honey, I want you to get this. <laughs> ask Questions. I mean, man, this is this is your golden moment. You could just you could just really solve a whole lot of future pain. You know what I'm saying? But anyhow, if that's what you want to do, go ahead. <clears throat> um, because and you know, I learned this from a business book. You know, uh, Stephen Covey. You know, his first book. I learned this is where I learned this. I didn't create this myself. But you know, he he talks about when you ask questions, you are seeking to understand. When you make statements, you are seeking to be understood. When you ask questions and you want that other person to present their side, then, and if you do it in a non-threatening way, then that other person is assuming then that you are going to be understanding. They're assuming that you're giving them a chance. They're, they're, they're assuming that you're not passing judgments. They might even assume that it's safe to tell you the truth, you know. So the way I should have done that would be, you know, Bernard, there's something I, I'm, I'm really not understanding, and to be honest, it's probably me. But when this happens, my feelings get hurt. And, and, and I, just want to under, I just want to understand if there's a problem. I want to understand. Okay, well, what is it? And it's like, you know, there's so many times when you go to the grocery store, it seems like some of these things are important to me. You're, you're not coming home with them. And I don't, I, I don't really know what that's about, and I don't know if there's a way I can help you solve that. I don't know if I've really made it clear to you, you know, you know, you know, that I need these things or want these things. But I just want to understand because I don't want to, I don't want to pass it. I don't want to walk around feeling like I'm not important to you. And so, so, so help me understand. It's that simple. It is that simple. And the majority of the time, you're just going to find out. You know, and with, with, with Brenda, I mean, honestly, you know, I don't know how many, how many of y'all saw Norville Hayes died last night? 91 years old. Norville and I used to do meetings together back in the, in the Word of Faith days, in the heyday of the Word of Faith. And uh, me and Norville were doing a cruise one time. And uh, when you did meetings with Norville, there was a great abundance of single women because they all thought they were going to get to marry him, which I never figured out why women would want to marry Mr. Magoo. <clears throat> but they did. And he, he, you know, he toyed with them. I mean, he really did. I mean, not in an evil way, but he, he toyed with them, you know. And, and so we were on this cruise, and, and there was an abundance of single women. And Norval gets up and starts talking about relationships. He said, now look. He said, I know all you women out there would like to catch a man like Jim. He said, but you ain't unless you're a woman like Brenda. And I think at one point he said, you know, if Jim wanted a fish, Brenda go hang out back of his boat and, and reach down and pull one up out of the ocean. <laughs> well, you know what? That's the truth. That's the truth. And, and, you know, she doesn't do it in a demeaning way. I mean, but she cares about me. It was absurd for me to think 
that her forgetting a few things had anything to do with how she felt about me. I can't tell you the times in my life, you know, when I was younger and more immature, that I had incredible conflicts with my kids or my friends or people in business simply because when I went to them, I didn't go. I thought I was going to reconcile, but I really wasn't going to reconcile. I was going to prove myself right and get what I wanted. And so I would go in and immediately make an accusation based on my judgment. And there was no solving the problem from that point forward. So there's a few concrete principles we have to have here. Number one, concrete principles is this. I never see anything the way it happens. I just see it the way I see it. That's it. Any of you guys ever gone to the grocery store? Any of the men? This is, this is a man question. You, you go to the grocery You know, it's kind of interesting because, I, I mean, I'll go to the grocery store anytime if Brenda ever needs me to. I don't, I don't mind, you know. And uh, it's amazing how many more men you see in the grocery store now than, you know, than even 20 years ago. And, you know, I, part of that's because women are working a little bit more, but maybe men are getting less chauvinistic. I don't know. Uh, but I think it's a good thing, you know what I mean, that, that people pitch in and help, you know, that, that couples pitch in and help. But there's been times, you know, Brenda would say, she'd be cooking and she'd say, oh, man, I need, there was something, I can't remember what it was that she needed, but she said, now, it, make sure that it has no salt in it. And, and she said, and it'll be on the label. And so she gives, tells me, you know, go get me four cans, it's got to have it right now. I'm out, Noah's out, and you know, she'd be in the middle of cooking, and she'd be at that stage. Got to have it now. Man, I would just jump in the car, tear out to the grocery store. And I can remember this particular time. I remember, man, I'm down here looking at these cans. <laughs> and it's like, okay, okay, this is it. And, and I remember looking at that can and seeing no salt on the label. Four cans, run to the cashier. Man, I'm going to run home. Supper going to get fixed. I'm going to be the hero. Don't take but four cans of to tomato sauce to be a hero at my house. So I'm going to run back. And I, and I did, man. I come in. I'm all, yeah, I'm the man. I went to the grocery store for you. Here it is. She goes, I told you I want it salt-free. Now, I'm telling you, I was convinced that I saw that on the label. You've been there too, huh? How many of you have ever done that? Men and women, you ever done that? Man, or something like that. You know, you know what I mean? See, here's something you want to understand something. You don't see with your eyes. How many of you knew that? You do not see with your eyes. All your eyes do is take in light. You see with your brain. Your brain interprets this information that comes in, and your brain tells you what you're seeing. Which means if you ever make up your mind about anything, your brain tells your eyes that that's what you're seeing. You know, when I first got saved, I went to this little Baptist church, great little church, had a great pastor. I was, so, I was so incredibly blessed. I'm so thankful I did not go to a charismatic or Pentecostal church when I got saved. I would have just walked out the door and said, all of y'all need help. It was just a good place to get a good Bible foundation. They, you know, there was a lot of stuff they might not know, but they believed the Bible. You know, it was, I mean, it was a great foundation, and I, had a, and I had, a, had a great pastor. But I heard this pastor tell a story about the Madison Baptist Association sending some people uh, on a mission trip, and they went to, I believe it was, it was Sweden. And they were going to work with a church over in Sweden to do something somewhere, some missions outreach. And so... They get over there, and they, and, and they, they have a blow-up. Nobody will work together. And so, you know, the, the somebody from the delegation meets with the, the women from, the, uh, from America. And, and in Sweden, this was in the 60s, in, the, in Sweden, most women didn't wear bras. And so the American women were like, y'all got a bunch of hookers in here. 
a bunch of slutty women running around with no bras on. We don't, we don't work with them. So he goes, but the Swedish women didn't wear makeup. And so, the, so they go over and talk to the Swedish delegation, and the Swedish women are saying, they all look like whores. They've got their faces covered up with makeup. We don't want to work with them. And see, from there, your eyes change what they see. Here, here's a, here, how many of you, let's say, how many of you, like, you're kind of maybe inspirational, you know, you, you can get really excited really, really quick, and, and, and when you're talking to somebody, how many of you touch people when you're talking to them? Raise your hand. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it. So, so, well, uh, do you touch people when you talk to them? Okay. Well, good. Here, you come here. You, you can do this experiment with me. All right, come here. All right, so... So she likes to touch people when she talks. Stand up. Clint don't really like to touch people when he talks. Now he'll he he he'll 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 do it. So I want you to start having a, a, a just a just start having a personal conversation with Clint, and just and, and just and you're really excited about him, and, you, and it's something endearing. And so so what would you do? Come come. That ain't how you do it. That is not how you would do it. Come on, tell the truth. At some point, you would literally either take him by the arm or take him by the hand, right? Right. Yes. All right. Come on. She's the one to do it now. Uh, so she, she, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. She, she's all been all coward. <laughs> See, look, there it is. <laughs> now, now. All right. Now, I'll show you a couple of ways that judge, two or three ways that judgment could happen from that. Now, some people that never, now Clint would not do this because he understands people. Some people who don't touch people, certain behavior patterns that basically, if they touch you, they're trying to get in bed with you. <laughs> I mean, no, really. I mean, that's pretty much it. It's like if I'm touching you, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saying something. Let's say if Clint was that guy, and then he walks out and goes, that one was all over me. <laughs> she was all, she wanted me bad. <laughs> now, Number one, a judgment has been passed, right? Which is going to change the way he relates to her. But the problem is he's told me. So now we'll pretend like you're not the husband. You get up over there. Come on, stand up. So you're just going to be somebody in the church and, and that she's talking to that's new in the church and excited about God. And so now go over, go over and talk to him and do it that way. So you start talking to him. You start making physical contact. Now, see, I have been told this story about her. So now I'm saying, there's evidence. She's over touching that guy. <laughs> she is the church hooker. <laughs> All of you that raised your hand, particularly if you're a female, you have somewhere in your life had people accuse you, haven't you? But And the people that accuse you, I guarantee you, they were people that didn't like to touch other people. They didn't, they wanted a small, they don't want people to get inside their circle. Listen, we do this, every, our tendency is we look at anything and we immediately decide why it's happening. And here's, usually here's what our judgment is based on. Our judgment is based on, if I did this, this is what I would mean. You know, we used the example yesterday, like if you're kind of a bottom, like I'm a bottom line person, just, just give me the bottom line. And then we'll be, we'll be sociable. I don't want sociable first and then bottom line. I want bottom line first. And you give me bottom line first, I'm like, cool. And then suddenly we can do anything. We can talk about anything. Even if I don't like the bottom line, I'm fine. You know what I mean? Because at least I know what I'm dealing with. And so to me, that's a courtesy. But if you're not a bottom line person, which... She might not be. Are you a bottom line person? No. Okay. <laughs> so, so if I walked up to her and said, uh, listen, I, I, I need you to get back here and take care of this stuff. We got something happening in children's church. Just kind of get on back there and take care of that. That's bottom line. That's right. What would you think? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you think I was being mean, right? Right. You think I was mad about something, right? Yeah, being pushy, mad, upset about something. But you know, you know why that's her judgment of me? Because she's projecting 
her motives onto me. See, we believe that everybody does everything they do for the same reasons we do. That's a judgment. Hi, Chuck, sit down. But <clears throat> keep your hands to yourself. <laughs> I, I don't want no makeout sessions here in church. I'm, I mean, I know. <laughs> so we've got to come to this place to where I don't see anything as it really is. Because you don't see what it, you don't see anything as it really is unless you know why it's happening. You only have an interpretation of what's happening, and that interpretation is going to be a judgment. Now, if somebody has a track record of doing something, then you can kind of go, I don't know if this is why they're doing this now, but I know this is why they usually do this. And all we know about anybody is their track record. I mean, that's really all, that's all you know about anybody. And the only thing you can trust about anybody is their track record. And when their word violates their track record, you know, you can't say that they're lying. And so you don't even have to say that somebody's lying if you're going to say no to them. I mean, you really don't have to explain yourself. I, I am the king of not explaining myself. You know, I went from that extreme when I was young of always having to explain myself. My, my family, my, my mother and my sister, I tell you, when I first got saved, their biggest complaint was, we can ask him anything and we will never get an answer. <laughs> and because my thing was, why should I answer in a question that I know you're going to argue with me about? So why have this argument? We'll just talk about something else. Never, never, never even have to stop and address it. You know, when people are invading your life, man, if you've got, you got bossy parents that are always controlling parents trying to invade your life, here, here's, here's the key. Don't answer their questions. Don't explain anything to them. You know, you can't, when you explain anything to a controller, they're going to use it to control. So if you want to avoid the conflict, just be nice, talk about something else. <laughs> but we shouldn't need to explain ourselves. And we should only choose to explain ourselves when it is beneficial for the situation or beneficial for the person. And so in every situation, I just see what's happening, but I don't know what's happening. And the only cure for that is ask what's happening. And if you're not comfortable asking, don't judge. Just leave it alone. Your spouse does something, don't ever, assume, don't ever assume you know why anybody's doing anything. I mean, even no matter how well you know them, and even if you know their track record, because all you can say is their track record says they tend to do this, but I don't know if this is why they're doing it today. <coughs> Learning to ask questions without judgment is, will be one of the most life-transforming, character-building things that you will ever do. And it will, it, when you stop passing judgments, you will stop having conflict in your life. And even when other people want to have conflict, you won't be in it. They, you know, they'll be going crazy all around you, but you're not going to get sucked into it. And, uh, and then, and I don't have time to go in this, but and we talked about it very much in depth. When you do realize you have an offense, you have to send away that feeling that pain not the person the feeling and when you send away that feeling then you're back at peace and in the place of peace you can decide how you want to relate to that person whether you should or shouldn't be involved with that person uh you'll you know you'll just be able to make good godly decisions so imagine what your life would be like if you spent the next couple of weeks number one just noticing how often you judge, how often you soon to know why somebody does something. And the minute you do that, you just stop it in its tracks. Nope. I don't, I don't know. It's just, this is how I see it. This is not how it is. This is just how I see it. And I don't, so I don't have to do anything. I, that means I'm not going to have to act on this. I'm not going to have to understand this unless I want to go ask questions. So number one, you, you, you start noticing. Number two, when you, have, when you have situations that are affecting you, always ask non-critical, non-judgmental questions. I want to understand. 
Did you did you mean? I mean, were you were you trying to hurt me when you said this? Because it really it really did hurt. Maybe me. I may have been too sensitive. You may have meant to, but I just need to know. <clears throat> so always always ask questions. Number three, when you find yourself reliving an offense, you go and get in touch with that offense, and you send it away. Go back and listen to, was it yesterday morning or yesterday afternoon we dealt with sending away? If you don't do anything else, get, get to yesterday afternoon. Oh, good. Okay, so they'll all be there for you. And, and I'm going to tell you, just how would your life change if 90% of the conflict stopped happening? Anybody got any conflict you wish would just stop happening? Well, I'm, I just told you how to get it to stop happening. How would your life change if you weren't carrying any hurts from your past? Anybody think that would change your life? How would your life change if you had those two things plus you know that you could pretty much avoid future pain because of other people's behavior? Huh? Sure. Yeah, we're going to wrap it up here, so I'll let you, I'll let you, get, I'll let you be the caboose. Well, I, I just wanted to say, you know, when we're steeped in this judgment, we end up judging God. And when I explained earlier about how, you know, it was the moment that I grasped what he's, he's trying to say here, the moment I grasped it and, and judgment began to, you know, I began to release it and let it go, I realized also that I had judged God. Not things were 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 pretty good this way. I, I I I had it in me that God was good. I knew He wasn't mad at me. I had all of that, but I had been in judgment of God about my relationships with people, because I I thought God wasn't coming through. When really what was happening is because I was in judgment and was holding on to these offenses, but because I couldn't, I, I didn't understand that. I cast judgment on God and said, he's not coming through for me. So how many of your situations are you looking and going, God's not coming through for me? You know, you're passing a judgment against God, and, and, and then you're going to try to figure out why he's not coming through for you. When really what's happening is you're holding on to judgments and offenses from the past. And if you, so remember when I said this was the most immediate and abrupt change that I'd ever experienced. It went from here to here because when I let go of it, I realized that God had been trying to come through for me. But because I wouldn't obey and do what the Bible said to do, he couldn't. There was nothing he could do with that beyond my willingness to obey and let go of the offenses. So if you are thinking that you know, why isn't God coming through in this situation? I don't know. Could it be maybe you're not doing what he's asked you to do? Are you still holding on to the pain of the past and suffering and trying to relate to this person, trying to solve this problem, steeped in, in your judgments, you're viewing it through the pain of the past? You know, are you in judgment of God? And he's not able to work through your life in any capacity if that's the viewpoint that you're trying to look at your problems with or, or um, you know, in your relationships or whatever the area is, if you are holding on to those things, God is not able to move beyond that. You're the one with the wall. You're the one putting up the blockages. Good deal. Yeah, you know, the book and the series goes into that, that ultimately, if you ever say, why is God letting this happen? you have already passed a judgment on God because you have assumed that God is the one that is causing it. All right, Clint. Yeah. I mean, who knew you could get so much practicality out of judge not that you be not judged for with the measure you meet, it'll be measured to you. That's rightly dividing the word is what that is. You know what I mean? Like we read it and we're like, what does he mean? What does he mean? It's like, it's good to know what he means, but how do you live that? And I want to live it. Amen? I, I appreciate that. that was, that's amazing. Uh, they, Angela, will be up here. All these are Jim's products. There are some uh, books, How to Stop the Pain on the End here. 
there is a stack. By the way, Angela, if you sell out of uh, out of that stack of teachings, that box down there is all how to stop the pain one. Um, so I, I'm telling if you missed the seminar or if you just want to recap, get that series, get the book. Now, I'm going to ask all the life groups, and I've actually already talked to you. Um, in your life groups for the next three or four weeks, we're going to follow up with these. These are the questions that you're going to uh, have discussions with. If you're not in a life group, make sure you jump on our website, forward.church, get in a life group. And I'm going to camp out on this message, on this book, probably for the next two, three, four weeks. We'll just see how it goes because we just we want to get it working, right? I don't want you to just hear, it, hear a message and say, oh, yeah, that's really good, and then you don't do it. I mean, what's the point? We're just playing church for it. That's what we're going to do. How many of you want to put this stuff into practice? Yeah? Let's do it. Amen? Show them some love one more time. Kopi's going to come up and close us.